When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey everybody, welcome back to Bucketheads Land Grant Holy Land's College Basketball Podcast. Welcome to episode 38. Welcome to the slowest two weeks of basketball news that we have had since last summer, Justin. Yeah, it's uh, it's, this is May. Uh, As John Rossi likes to say, we sleep in May. And uh, we've been sleeping. Yeah, there's uh, it, it's been it's been pretty slow. We're we're sitting around thinking about sitting about, around thinking about what we can uh, how we can fill time this week with a college a college basketball in May is absolutely dead because TBC hasn't started yet. Uh, mo- a lot of teams are done putting rosters together. You know, like I said, TBT hasn't started yet. Uh, preseason practice and stuff hasn't started yet. The freshmen aren't even on campus yet. Uh, there's really not much going on. The Buckeyes did make one addition, though, um, since our last episode. Their final roster spot that we were both adamant would go to a big man went to a six foot five point guard named Isaac Likely from Oklahoma State. It's a very versatile player, very intriguing player, but uh, another guard. Yeah, I well, I only thought it'd go to a big man just because I thought they—that's what I thought they would kind of zoom in on, just because of needs. But they clearly had a plan with what they were trying to do with this team. Um, I, first of all, I didn't know Isaac Likely was on the radar, so that was kind of two out of the three transfers came out of nowhere. Um, Tanner Holden just came fast, and then Isaac Likely, there was no buzz around his name. I forgot he even entered the portal, and all of a sudden he committed. So that was really cool. I love him. I love his game. I've always, I always have. I know this is the 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 easy thing to say about him, but he is he is kind of just a Swiss Army knife. You could put him anywhere, one through the four. Um, you know, he he. It will be interesting to see kind of where he starts the season. I do think he's a starter on this team. I think he'll probably start at the two. Um, but it just depends on what they kind of want to do with Sean McNeil. I, I think they're going to bring him off the bench, but. You know, if you want to start Sean McNeil, you can start Likely. It'd be pretty incredible if their starting lineup was Likely, Sean McNeil, Tanner Holden, Justice Suing, and Zed Key because you'd have three guys that are transfers in. 
a guy who didn't play last season than Zed Key, who was injured a lot of last season. So um, Ohio State is looking at not even from a – like obviously I'm a fan, so I'm going to watch every game. But if even if I was an Ohio State fan, I would be extremely curious to tune into some Ohio State games early and see what this team is because they're, they're going to rely so heavily on transfers, so heavily on freshmen, and good freshmen, but freshmen. And their opening season – I mean, they're going to play in their first seven games. They're going to play five ranked teams. Likely. So, hey, that's pun. But still, um, four or five ranked teams. So, it'll be very interesting to see how this 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 uh, November goes for them. I think it'll be good for them. I don't know if it'll be good on this court, but it'll be good for them. But we'll see. My, um, I only watched Oklahoma State last year when, like, somebody good was playing Oklahoma State um, because they had the postseason ban this year. So, I I never really cared about Oklahoma State, so I didn't watch a ton of them. I only pl- watched them if like you know number two Baylor was playing Oklahoma State, so I can't say that I watched a ton of him. Um, but I I do think he probably starts. Um, we know that Chris Holtman is very um, very much. Um, I'm trying to think the words here. He loves his older players. I, I guess that's the simple way to put it. So I, I would be kind of surprised if he brings in a fifth year point guard who is a starting caliber player and then has him come off the bench behind Bruce Thornton, a freshman who's going to be very good. Um, but asking a freshman point guard to have the keys to the car from day one and expect success, like the high standards that Ohio state has for this program. Um, I would be surprised if like likely came off the bench. So I think he's probably your starting point guard, which means that I think that they would probably go, just like you said, with McNeil and then Holden suing Key. I don't love, it's a little undersized, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, plug and play pieces where you can kind of switch guys around. Yeah. I, one thing I actually, I did say the opposite. I actually think Thornton will start day one and McNeil will come off the bench, but it, it just depends. It, that, it just depends on kind of what he, what, where he thinks likely fits the best. I think he fits best as, at the two on this team, but if he fits best at the one, then yes, I do think he would start over Thornton. I just think um, right now he fits best at the two, and I think he'd start over. I don't see McNeil playing 30 minutes a game on this team. I think he's going to play more like 20, uh, which, again, it's not low minutes. It's half the game, but I don't know that. It'll be interesting to see also how the minutes go because you, you this team is 12 deep legitimately. You know, you want all the freshmen. Obviously, Bowen Hardman is going to assume – we'll assume he redshirts. All the other four freshmen, you want to get on the court this year. They're all good enough to get on the court this year. You've got your four guys returning or five guys returning that all should play – I mean, there's nobody returning that I, I don't see that shouldn't belong in the rotation. Kalen Etzler is kind of a wild card because we haven't seen him, but I think his talent, his skill set can be very useful. Eugene Brown struggled, but I still think he's useful for this team. I mean, he started last year a little bit out of necessity, but still, he, you know, he, he knows how to play this game. Zed Key is going to be starting. Seth Towns and Justice Suing, obviously you went on the court if they can. And then you have your three transfers. That's 12 guys. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they start to share up the lineup. I don't see them playing 12 guys all season. That's just not how that works. And obviously injuries will happen and, you know, things will happen. and It'll kind of work itself out. But right now this team's pretty much 12 deep. So we'll see. I, I think that I think with, with transfers, and I, I could be off base here, but when you see transfers pick specific locations 
to go play their like final year, final two years. I, I always assume that's because they've probably been given some kind of assurance from the head coach that X number of minutes are going to be there for you. So for example, Sean McNeil, like I have a, I have a hard time believing that a guy who started at West Virginia and could have gone to any number of schools would choose to go to a school where they're going to tell him straight up, you're going to be coming off the bench for your final season. I could be wrong. And honestly, I probably would prefer it if he came off the bench, but I would be surprised if he came off the bench. Same with likely, um, same with Holden, except I think that Tanner Holden is going to be really, really, really good. And I wouldn't want him coming off the bench anyways. But no, um, I think that one, I think they're three through five is set. I think it's going to be Holden suing key. I don't see that changing at all. And I will say this, I'm in the minority on this. Most people I've seen that are projecting rosters do think it'll be likely and McNeil starting. I just, I just, I don't know, something, just, I just feel a certain way that I think, uh, that, that's look, not the fun. That's not the fun lineup. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I like, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm just very interested to see what Bruce Thornton can do day one. And also, I, th- I mean, look, he's going to be kind of the, the uh, elephant in the room the entire time. But Seth Towns, if he's fully healthy, he's a starting caliber player. I don't know what they're going to do minutes wise with him, but like, again, the last time he played healthy, he was the Ivy League Player of the Year. So. I, I that's me thinking optimistically, obviously. I know most people, including yourself, don't expect much more than four or five points per game. I don't know that I really do either. But, you know, is there a world where they start likely holding, suing Towns and Key? Maybe? I don't know. Right. The, it's, the it's, shock, interesting. it's interesting. The, the surprising outcome for Seth Towns, it's like, if... if, if, if Big 10 player of the year. I will... I will literally eat a tomato whole. I will just, I will literally just eat the tomato like an eat a tomato like an apple. If Seth Towns wins Big Ten Player of the Year, I know somebody um, who does that. So seek help immediately. Um, <laughs> and like I said, the shock would be like, say, come January, say Seth Towns is averaging like twenty five minutes a game, and he's averaging like eleven points per game. I feel like the shock wouldn't be that Seth Towns is good enough to score 11 points a game. The shock would be that Seth Towns is healthy enough to play enough that he's scoring 11 points a game. Oh, 100%. 100%, 100%. That would be the shock. If he's healthy enough to give you 20 to 25 minutes, I don't think anybody, even the the, the pessimistic Ohio State fans, even those people don't doubt that he can do it. They just doubt that he'll even be able to be on the floor to do it, which he thinks he will be. Yeah, and that's the thing. He knows his body, and granted, he's probably looking at it extremely optimistically, but he does know his body better than anybody, and if he says he can do it, he's – and also, I remember last year when he was talking, he never talked this positively about his injuries. He was like, you know, we're making progress, whatnot. Now he's like, I'm good to go. I'm rolling, you know? You know, like I said, he said to – I think it was Jared Smalley where he was like, I've never – like, I feel like I have so much more to give. In Ohio State, like, people have not seen – what I can do. I'm ready to show them. So like, that's very confident talking. So I, I mean, even when he was injured in the COVID year, you know, he was only playing 10 minutes a game. He was giving you five points per game. It's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a bucket every two minutes. Like he was still scoring at a, at a decent clip for what he was playing, you know? So I, I, he's, I think this whole season could come, the whole season is probably going to come down to the freshmen, what they give you. But I think it could also come down to what Seth Towns can turn into, which, like I said, is if, if he's healthy, he's a hell of a player. There's no nobody will deny that. 
Yeah, there's um, just a pretty big uh, if. There's there's so much on there's so many unknowns. I think with with this roster still, like not it's, they don't have to fill spots, but there's unknowns. Like let's say you know Seth Towns doesn't play, Sean McNeil is not great. Uh, you end up having essentially if those two guys aren't playing well or not playing, you essentially have zero three point shooters on your team. If Seth Towns can't play and and Sean McNeil doesn't play well, um, so like what if what if they have no shooters? That's a huge problem. What if the rebounding is is way worse this year than it was last year when it was already really bad? That could be a problem. Then you could flip it and say, well, you have guys on this team who maybe have not been three point shooters previously, but they haven't shot it at a high volume. Or you have freshmen who were good three point shooters in high school. And we're going to assume that that's going to translate. And then what if we assume that Ohio State doesn't have a 10-rebound guy, but they have six guys who grab between four and eight? Like, it, yeah. it could be either way. And, like, I've seen people say the second set of situation, and I've also seen people say the first set. Well, and that's the interesting part because, and I completely agree with what you just said, there's two sides of this coin. With the rebounding thing, like, Zed Key is going to be a better rebounder just – because of health. I mean, he was clearly hurt most, like not most, but a lot of towards the end of last season. I think people kind of forget what Zed Key gave Ohio State November, December, and January, mainly because of how good Branham got and also Key got hurt and kind of I, – I agree. Key has things to work on. I don't love a guy who can only shoot the ball from two feet. You know, he struggled rebounding at times. I understand all that. But then at the same time, like they played Duke. He outplayed Mark Williams, who played in the Final Four. So I think they, there there were very good moments for a guy who's a sophomore. Um, I'm, so I'm very interested. I'm very he, interested. He just, he's got to do it consistently, though. Yeah, I feel he's like that be is, consistent. I yeah. feel like that's the the comeback for people is like, cool. He played well in one game. So what else did he do? And I feel like you have to still you have to bring up the Duke game, but also it's like you look at his shooting percentage, and I don't have his stats up right now, but I'm pretty sure he shot just over 50% from the floor, which is very good to shoot between 50 and 60%. Like when Zed Key gets the ball in the paint and he's able to back a man down, it usually doesn't matter if they're seven foot or seven one. Like he usually gets what he wants when he has the ball down low. His problem was, has been foul trouble and playing enough minutes that you can actually have him on the floor to utilize how efficient he is because he gets in foul trouble and he only ends up playing 21 minutes a game. Yeah, I do think the foul trouble thing is a little bit of, of recency bias because it happened a lot towards the end of the season. I don't remember him having that issue in November and December and stuff. And again, you're not playing as, you know, conference plays when it matters. He played 19.8 minutes per game and he was their starting center. Yeah, but most centers aren't giving you 30 minutes a game. I mean, they're just big guys. I think that, I think that he needs to be able to give you at least – at least 20 to 25 minutes per game this season. I think this season he's going to look in the 22-25 range and have Akpara play 15 to 20, and that'll be your two centers. And I'm cool. I'm I'm com- I'm comfortable with that. Uh, I, obviously, and I and this is kind of boating that I'm assuming when Akpara gets on campus he's going to gain weight. It's just how it works. Like guys, just do that's just half. That just that's how it works for everybody. So I'm 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 fine with Akpara playing day one. Um, and then you know to the rebounding thing, you're essentially adding with especially with these transfer with with the transfers and with suing, you're essentially adding 15 to 20 rebounds a game because Holden gave you seven last year. Suing can give you six to seven. That's 14, 15, and then you have likely who who's averaged five pretty much his entire career. So you know you're averaging you're you're bringing in these guys who they're not obviously seven footers. High State fans love the seven footer, but. They can, you don't have to be a seven footer to be a good rebounder. Rebounding is a skill. 
and um, like likely you you can very comfortably call call him a good rebounder. It's not like you don't luck upon five or six rebounds for your career for four years. For a guard, he's a good rebounder. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, you don't for a guard, he's a great rebounder. I mean, five or six a game, you don't luck upon that for four years straight. Yeah, that's that's just good. You're just good at it. It's like Russell Westbrook. You're just a good rebounder. And Westbrook plays 15 minutes a game, but still. Um, I think uh, Ohio State's, like I said, one of the more unknown teams. And I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch because there's so much they can do with it. It's such a versatile lineup. And that's obviously what Chris Holman was going for. I made this comparison on Twitter, and I like it. The more I think about it, the more I like it. It's like an Arkansas or a Houston. If you remember watching them this year, there's not a lot of size, but it's just full of athletes. It's full of guys who can play any position. Um, the only difference with Arkansas is I don't think this team has a JD Note. But uh, look, also, Tanner, both both of those teams had some great shooters. Yeah, and, it, but, and but so for this team, that's where the unknown comes in because I, Holden Suing are mid thirties for the three pointer of their career, which is good, not great, but good. Thornton and Gale can shoot it according to high school. So as long as that translates, you know, like you said, it could either it can go one or it's going to go one or one way or the other. Um, it's, it'll just be very interesting to see kind of which way exactly. it goes. And that's what's kind of fun or fun or, or agonizing. Fun or agonizing if you're a fan um, because right now – It's going to be any, inconsistent. I think – You have all the have pieces now and now people get to agonize over what they'll see. So just FYI, just assuming is a career 31% three-point shooter. But oh, he, was, he was 31% at Cal – and he was 33% at Ohio State, but he's played way more games at Cal, so his overall is 31.3%. So he's, I would not consider him a shooter, but you basically have two, you have two stencils of this team of what people are expecting. Because like, if you say that, you know, yeah, Tanner Holden's only a 33% three-point shooter for his career, which I don't find, I don't say that was, I don't think it's good. That's not a good number. But Holtman has already said, yeah, this is going to be a big part of his game, and we expect him to, we're going to put him in spots where he's going to be able to succeed doing that a little bit more. Um, and you expect that like Sensabaugh and Thornton and Gale and McNeil and Towns are all going to step in and just start shooting threes. People are like, okay, we, we've got some pieces here. But then you might, you could also just pull up the raw numbers and say, you know, don't give me projections. Don't tell me how these guys are going to improve. Just look at the numbers and it's not good. So that, that's kind of what's going on right now is um, you have like, a stencil of like, here's how this team could be really, really good. And here's how this team could run into some serious problems if A, B, and C don't um, progress, basically. The, and the one thing I will say kind of, again, like I said, there is no J.D. Note on this team. Arkansas shot the ball well at times. They were 12th in the SEC in total shooting. They shot the ball 30% from three. They're not – they were inconsistent too. So – and granted, that ended up being their downfall. That's why they lost North Carolina or – who did they lose to? North Carolina, right? In the tournament? Yeah. No. Um, they went exactly. far. They were they were an elite eight team again, yeah. right? I think so, yeah. I thought God, the tournament's so hard to remember what happens. Especially when your team loses in the second round. They Come lost on. to they lost to Duke, I think, didn't they? No, that doesn't sound right. Hold on, let me look. I thought it was the Caleb Love went crazy game and they beat Oh, you're right. Arkansas was trash shooting three. I think it was Houston that I was looking at that was really Houston, good. Houston had, is like, a good three point shooting team, no doubt. They had, I mean, Kyler um, Edwards was one of the best three-point shooters in the country, so that that helps, obviously. There's no Kyler Edwards on this team, probably, unless Roddy Gale becomes – that's the only person I could see that could become that. Or, again – and Yeah, dude, they lost it, to Duke. Arkansas uh, lost to Duke. Yeah. Who was who, – who 
who's the Caleb Love game? Whatever. That's irrelevant. Anyway, so they lost to – I got the wrong wrong ACC blue team, wrong color blue. Um, but, you know, there is – you know, Eugene Brown, we keep calling him a 3 and D. We might have to stop because he's just – he's cut out the ball well for, from three for like two months his freshman year and then stopped. So, um, but hopefully he shoots the ball a little better this year and that helps because he's probably going to play 20, 25 minutes a game too. I don't know. The minutes are going to be extremely interesting, and they're going to have to figure it out fast because, like I said, they play obviously in the CBS. It feels like they always get the raw end of the deal at the CBS Sports Classic, but again, this year they play North Carolina and, and not Kentucky or UCLA, which North Carolina is the best of those three. So it's always funny. This. It feels like they always play the best of the three. Um, that's probably just me talking biasly, but it feels like it. And then – they play whoever they play in the ACC Big Ten Challenge will probably be a good team. I predict like a Virginia, you know, something like that. They've already played them in that, but I don't know how they do. I don't know how they do the scheduling for that. So um, it's probably based upon standings, but I have no idea. They got to play the Big East in the Gavit games, probably. That'll be, be Butler. Which we assume will be Butler, who is putting together a good team, a team they should be, but Butler is putting together a good team. That, I mean, that model knows what, what he's doing. I'm not going to sit here, you know, that Duke and coach. So, hot take that model, good coach. Um, and then they go to the Maui Invitational where they see they can see Arkansas, who might be the number one team in the country. They can see Creighton, who I think is a top five a team top in the country. Five, yeah, they could play Cincinnati, who is putting together some guys. I mean, they're not going to be great, but they're going to be good. Um, there's another top five team that's completely escaping me that's going to be there. Hold up, I just had the teams up. Um, but like the Maui, that's one of the Arizona. Sorry, Arizona. There, a lot of them depends on Krishna Coloco and what he does. And Texas Tech's there too, and Louisville, who is probably going to get Imani Bates. So, I mean, th- this is a loaded, loaded field. And San Diego State, who's not great, but they play amazing defense, so they can always keep themselves in games. So that's, I mean, that could be. You could take three losses there. I mean, so it's going to be really interesting to see what they do early on. And, and I like playing tough schedules early on, you know, the Tom Izzo effect where like Michigan state would be six and six after through 12 games, but they're always ready for March because they play these incredible teams and they, and they lose a lot in non-conference, but they play this crazy tough schedule. I like doing that. It gets you ready for those games. You're going to see these teams later down the road anyway, but it could make for some frustrated Buckeye fans. If this team does start, three and five or something like that, which I think I, it's hard no, to look at. That's not going to happen. But the Maui Invitational is your first, what, four, five, six games? You don't play six games in the Maui Invitational. I think you play like a No, I'm saying three, it's right? your first – you play like three games to start and then you'll play like – the Maui Invitational will be like your fourth, fifth, and sixth games of the season. It's Thanksgiving. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you, okay. So I'm saying – so then right after that's the CBS Sports Classic. And the right or right, sorry, right after that's the Big Ten ACC, and then it's the CBS Sports Classic. I mean, there's, I do think there's, it's impossible without seeing a schedule in front of me. But their first ten games, they could easily play five or six ranked teams. They could lose to all of them. I don't know. This is, they probably will not be ranked to start the season. I don't think this is a ranked. I think this is a ranked team. I don't think this is a ranked team to start the season. But talent wise, I think they are. But I think there's so many questions. I don't think they will be. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what. Ohio State's record is against top, like, if you go, like, Ken Palm, like, top 20, and then also, like, where am I going with this? I feel like Ohio State's most frustrating losses are not games like Ohio State's going to be taking on number six Arizona in the Maui Invitational. It's Ohio State just lost on the road at Nebraska at the end of February. How the hell did this happen? 
It's like, I feel like they pull off a lot of really good wins against ranked teams, especially early in the season, every single year with Holtman. And those are not like, those are not the games where I panic about or like, oh man, we're going to get our, our, our asses beat by so-and-so. It's like the frustrating ones are like losing to Iowa or Nebraska at home in February. So honestly, if, if it's a tough early season schedule and they play six ranked teams, I almost feel like you could pencil in Ohio State to win at least at least two or three of those because that's just how they roll, especially early in season. It's not the, those aren't the games that trip me up. It's like at the end of the season, I'm like, all right, how is Ohio State going to like spill the pot of chili all over themselves down the stretch? Those are the losses that just aggravate Ohio State fans. And it's so interesting with that because I don't obviously I don't disagree with what you're saying. The the that Nebraska game was one of the most frustrating games I've watched as a fan ever. And you know, same with the Maryland game. But then you turn around and you watch the same Nebraska team that still stinks. But the next game they play at Wisconsin with a Big Ten championship game or Big Ten championship on the line, and no Bryce McGowan's, and they win that too. And it's like, what the hell is going on? So it's like, it's not necessarily. I think some of it's just bad luck. They just catch these teams at really bad times, and it's just—it's weird, man. I don't get it. You know, it's—it's kind of like when you look at—you know—we don't have to get into this because we—we've talked this blue in the face. But it's kind of like the—the whole Chris Holtman can't get to the Sweet Sixteen, but then you context it, and it's like, well, there's a lot of context that goes into that, in my opinion. That kind of just been shit luck for Ohio State. If you look like the Gonzaga team, they played with four NBA guys. That was a four seed for some ungodly reason, you know, like that kind of stuff. So it's very weird. Um, also back to my Maui Invitational point, they could also play an easy schedule in Maui Invitational. It just depends on how, how it goes. So, you know, the, the potential, they're not definitely going to play Arizona, Creighton, Arkansas, you know, they could, but they might not. So who knows? Are we, uh, are we going to be boots on the ground in Maui? I, I'm not. You, you, you flying out to Maui? I don't even know where Maui is. I'll be honest. It's like Hawaii, right? Yeah, it's in Hawaii. We can edit that out. We can go ahead and edit that. That's part fine. Out for sure. I've, I've admitted multiple times I'm a, not. I'm not that bright. Is it? Is it the? Is it the? the, the is it the capital of, of Hawaii? I don't know. I feel like that's Honolulu, but I could be wrong. You okay? So you you knew that you said okay? Yeah, that was correct. I'm actually yeah. really good with capitals. I got a fifty out of fifty in fifth grade on that test and got a Wendy's prize because of it. And then I got bullied for getting the Wendy's. So if that's not elementary school, I don't know what is. He's over here like Maui. I thought that was just a character in uh, Moana. I, like, I didn't know that was a – he's like, now all the all the points are starting to click together now. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, I, I'm glad I – li- I like when they play in these big invites. That's one of my favorite – Feast Week is one of my favorite weeks truly of sports ever because you got NFL on Thanksgiving and you have – and you have NBA starting to get kind of juicy a little bit. And you got college basketball like that that week is just incredible basketball. So I, I like when they play in these tournaments, but you play tough teams. Creighton is going to be people, very, very good. People who think I'm crazy for like tripping out about college basketball in November, like, bro, they're like, imagine watching You're college basketball out. before yeah. February. I'm like, imagine not watching any of these games this week. Imagine not watching like Kentucky versus UCLA, Ohio State versus yeah. North Carolina. Like, for example, Zaga. I mean, imagine on, not watching this shit just because it's in November and you're like, oh, wait till February or March when it actually matters. I'm like, yeah. Are you kidding me? Well, and that's my favorite thing in the world. I'll wait till February so you can watch what Clemson play Virginia Tech. Come on. 
Like, and you're telling me this shit because, because you're probably watching like fucking Jacksonville Jaguars play like the Oakland Raiders on Thursday night football. Shut the front door, man. Get out of here. Yeah, I got I had people yelling at me this year because I was watching college basketball on Thanksgiving and not the NFL. And I'm, the NFL, like this year, the NFL first game is the Commanders against the Lions. Nobody's who, who cares. I'm gonna watch basketball. Por que no los dos? You know, I'll watch them. You got football going on Thanksgiving. I'll watch that. But if there's hoops on too, man, like it's just whatever, whatever. Anyway. And you get like 10 o'clock hoops games because it's like early round. Oh, it's the best. Bill Walton on shrooms calling like UCLA versus Oregon. Yeah. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We did want to talk about um, want to talk about NIL pay for play specifically the the guy at Miami Isaiah Wong, um, just Miami in general because Nigel Pack is pretty interesting too. We didn't. I I think this has happened. This may have happened right around when we put out the last episode. Basically, you know, Nigel Pack did, he went to Miami. We already talked about that. Um, but like five minutes after he announced he's going to Miami. That attorney down in Miami announced, like, Nigel Pack, we signed an NIL deal, $400,000 over two years, um, plus a car. And then a few days later, um, which is a red flag all in itself, because to announce an NIL deal like that um, right at the same time, yeah, that's, like, sketchy. But then right after that, one of Miami's star players, Isaiah Wong, basically made a, a statement through his agent saying, if there's not more NIL money coming to me through Miami – then I'm going to transfer elsewhere. So basically pay me more money or I'm leaving. And then like a day or two later, he came out and said, I never made that statement. That was my, my agent saying that independently. I never told him to say that, which I think that's a bunch of hogwash. I don't believe that at all. But um, then he's like, I, I love it at Miami. I'm staying at Miami. But yeah, he basically said, pay me more money or I'm going to transfer. Like it's like an open market. Which that's not what NIL was meant to do. No, we're approaching this kind of weird because, and I think you'd agree with this. We pretty, I, you know, I'm I'm cool with NIL, with players, with pl- I, with players making money off their own name and like this. That's to me, that's common sense. The fact like Johnny Menzel would be suspended for signing an autograph, getting paid for it. That's his name. I, that's crazy to me. But now we're kind of approaching this weird kind of impasse to where it is not NIL anymore. It's just pay for play. Very clear and simple, which in the NIL rules, it does explicitly say you can't, you cannot use money and NIL stuff for recruiting purposes. They use bigger words, but that's what it says for recruiting purposes. You cannot use NIL stuff now. And that's clearly being done. I mean, it's just like you'd have to be kind of an idiot to not see that, or you just don't want to see it. That's probably the main thing. Um, but now we're also getting into this weird spot of where people that agree with NIL 
you can't really even like bring up anything bad about it because they're like, oh, you don't you don't appreciate the player's rights. It's like, well, that's not what I said. <laughs> what I'm saying is this is pay for play, and that's what NIL is not supposed to be. That's clearly what it is right now. And we're getting into kind of – the NCAA completely butchered this, and of course they do. Mark Emmert, I'm going to throw a party during his retirement party of my own because I, the fact they butchered this so bad is incredible. They, they knew NIL was coming. You knew this was coming for a year or two. And they did nothing to get in front of it. They did nothing to kind of try to emphasize – to put NIL and pay for play in two different lanes. And now they're behind the ball and they're trying to get in front of it. They just released something today about – I didn't get a chance to read it. I was at work. But about new NIL rules and stuff like that. So um, they're they're getting into a – we're in a weird kind of space with NIL right now because, like like you said, it's clearly pay for play. I mean, that Isaiah Wong or Nigel Pack stuff was announced simultaneously. And, like, if I'm Nigel Pack, I'm not even sure I want that announced like it was. You know what I mean? Because people are, I guess he's just, he doesn't care what people think, but I don't think it's that great of a look. I don't know. I don't. It's like NIL was meant to be. It's going to be players. interesting to see if they can actually punish him, too, for, like, yeah. anything. I, I mean, we just it, watched but... Kansas win a national championship, and a Bill Self arguably might should be in jail. So, like you know, yeah. it's you know one of the the biggest bag men in the business. Um, I mean, like, <laughs> like nil was supposed to be like you said, like Zed Key can go to like a local like like a local like like Buckeye Corner, the Ohio State Sporting Goods store, this like fan gear store that's on campus or near campus here, and like sign autographs and like make money because. You know, he makes money off the autographs. The people yeah. show up to the store and are probably going to buy merch that they want him to sign. So basically the business is benefiting because he's there and he's making money off his name or like doing speaking appearances, doing commercials and stuff like like uh, opportunities present themselves to you because you are an athlete. But it's turned into like it's such a twisted thing now because you literally have like Isaiah Wong saying, I need more money from. I need more money from the Miami boosters slash whoever does NIL at Miami, which it's like, like NIL is an exchange of money for the athlete, like doing something like not necessarily work, but like even signing an autograph, doing a commercial, like it's not just like handing you cash sponsorships and whatnot. Yes. Right. It's not just handing you cash. It's like you are, you're doing some type of action that you are now getting paid for because of your status as an athlete. It's not just like Miami and Miami, the, the school can't pay him. It has to be like the boosters, um, the small businesses and the nonprofits in Miami that are like, Isaiah, we want you to be in this commercial. And that's so weird for a player to be like, I need more money or I'm gone because that's not how it was intended to be. And it's just like an awkward demand because that's not really how it was designed to be if that makes sense like i said like autographs doing commercials like opportunities that businesses would have liked college athletes to to be able to take advantage of before and couldn't do it now they can do it now car dealerships can reach out and have players in their commercials and so on and so forth um so it's weird for a player to be like i need more nil money or else i'm leaving yeah and i think the best way to word is like nil is paid because of play Kind of like how you're playing with your autographs, your sponsorships, the bigger the name, the more, you know, sell jerseys, stuff like that. This is just pay for play. <laughs> you know, it's just pay. We want you to play. So come on. And so it's it's getting kind of like I said, I don't have the answer for it because I think most people saw this coming. I mean, this was kind of the natural progression it was going to take. 
but the NCA just did nothing to get to put those safeguards in place. I, like I said, I don't know what the punishment would even be. Are you going to suspend the player? Are you going to suspend the boost? What are you going? I don't know what you're going to do. Can you can you prove any of it? Probably not. I'm sure not because they announced it really confidently. So they have to assume they're not going to get in trouble. So I, it's it's getting kind of a weird, you know. And look, and again, I'll say this again because I want to be on the record with it. I I agree with NIL. I, I don't. I think there's way more pros than cons, and I think that most teams are using it how it should be used, and it's. It, it's not as big of a problem as I think it kind of seems to be right now, but it's going to keep blowing up. If like nothing happens in Miami, people will just go, Oh, well, okay. That's what we can do. Okay, cool. You know, let's, let's do that. Yeah. Some, I mean, some people will just say like, cool, pay for play. Honestly, I don't care. Who cares? Make it a professional league. Essentially let them just do pay for play. Let, let businesses and teams compete and let, let recruits go to whatever place is going to pay them the most money. Let it, let it be literally pay for play. Who cares? It should be that way. Agreed. And I, I mean, I just, I don't like how, what, what, what makes college sports and specifically basketball so great. One of the things is how smaller schools that don't have the financial firepower as some other schools have just as much of a chance for the most part to make a run in March Madness to win your conference tournament as anybody else. And I think that if it becomes complete pay-for-play, I, I feel like the same few schools are going to monopolize all of the best recruits and transfers. Because I don't. it's not like that right now. Especially in the last several years, you've seen top players go to a lot of different schools, a lot of, like, in all the different major conferences. So I, right now, I don't think that recruits are being monopolized to only the best programs. But I think that if it became pay for play, I think it would start to look more like college football, where you have the same three or four teams dominating because they financially have the people in their community that can just hog all of the best players if it was just straight pay for play. Um, I could be totally wrong about that, but that's my opinion. I, I, I love that a team like Oral Roberts, as much as it hurts as much as it hurts to talk about, or a team like St. Peter's has a great opportunity to compete in their conference for a conference title and then compete in the NCAA tournament and have a great chance to advance. And I think if it becomes pay-for-play, I think that becomes a lot harder. I think the top, the top three or four teams would really, really, really dominate. Yeah, and I think that's where the distinction between NIL and pay-for-play should come up because I agree with you on pay-for-play. NIL, actually, I actually hoped it might help smaller schools do a little better because these guys, like let's say you have a, I guess like a Bruce Thornton would be a good example, or a lot of guys in this Ohio State recruiting class, like not a top 10 guy, but still a very good player, a four-star recruit. You know, instead of going to a Kentucky or a Duke where they might not play immediately, they want to go, well, I can make money off my name. I need to make that known more. Let me go to, you know, a smaller school, a mid, not, not necessarily mid-major, but – a smaller power five, get my name and brand out that, you know, basically make a brand is basically what you're trying to do with NIL. Um, so I was hoping that might actually help it pay for play. Won't because it's just all the top teams have the most money. They're going to pay the most. It's just math, but yeah, I don't know. It's it. I, and again, like you said, I have no problem with them. I have no problem with pay for play. I don't care. You know, I, I don't think it's incredible that people still call the, they call NCA a, a amateur, league or whatever when it's a billion dollar industry like it's not there's a lot of money that's being funneled into it and the players deserve a, a 
piece of that pie, in my opinion. It's just don't call it NIL. It's not that. It's pay for play. So that's that's where I'm at with that. It just I don't know. It just seems so hollow to me. It just seems so hollow. Like the recruitment process, if you had pay for play, just seems so hollow. Um, instead I mean, also, of a guy, I, I do think we'd be remiss if we didn't point out pay for play has been happening for 30 years. It's just been under the table. Now it's just out in the open. You know. Yeah, it's just like it's like the the whole recruiting process and what's fun about. Um, I'm trying to think of a fun example. Um, like for example, last year when when Pitt, Pittsburgh was, it looked like Pittsburgh. This is actually a great example when Pittsburgh. It looked like had a commitment from Efton Reed, who was a five star center in that class last year. And Pittsburgh sucked and still sucks. Um, Pittsburgh looked like they almost had a recruit who could potentially change the direction of your program just like that. And then it's, I mean, we don't have it in writing yet, but at LSU dropped the bag in the last few seconds and got him to go to LSU. Obviously, Will Wade burnt up in a flaming heap because of all that stuff. But, you know, if that becomes legitimate and it's just like, yeah, like LSU can just straight outbid Pittsburgh, to me that just takes some of like, the what makes college recruiting so fun and interesting is that a, a coach can develop a relationship with a with a recruit um, that maybe is stronger than a brand name like a Duke or a Kentucky. Well, even if like Jeff Capel has a really good relationship with a recruit and he's like, I've got the inside track to get this kid. If like a Kentucky swoops in and a booster at Kentucky's like, we'll pay you five hundred grand to come here. How is a kid supposed to say no to that, regardless of how good of a relationship he has with another coach? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Like I said, I think we would be a little remiss to not point out that that's been happening. It's just been illegal and under the table. But like that's why guys like Will Wade have gotten into trouble, um, but and Bill Self. But you know, we'll we'll see kind of where it goes. I don't know that. I don't know that it's going to be something everybody loves. I think it's just going to be kind of one of those things. But um, it's here to stay. I think that's that's definitely the case. It's definitely where college sports is heading. So. You know, it is what it is at this point. Uh, last thing, if, if, if you are a Marvel person, you have not seen Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, go ahead and skip the final 10 minutes of this episode. Um, we don't want to ruin it for you. Um, but we're going to talk about that for a minute because I know you saw it on opening night. I saw it the second night. Um, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was fantastic. I thought some of like the effects and the images and like the colors and the crazy like trippy stuff was super cool. I thought it made it kind of unique from some of the other Marvel movies, like the imagery they used. Um, but I feel like with a with the multiverse, there's so many holes in the logic that you can poke at. Yeah, and that was kind of inevitable when they when they start start talking about doing a multiverse. I think this movie is where you're gonna lose a lot of like. It'll be interesting to see how their box office starts to do because this is where you kind of start to lose like casual just moviegoers. It's like, oh, Marvel movie's on. Like, let me let me watch that. Like, this is not that. This is like, what the what the hell is going on? So I, I, I agree with you. I gave it a 7 out of 10. It's not bad. It's not great. I, like, I did not like Eternals. Like, it's not that bad to me. But, like, it's not No Way Home or anything, which is something I really, really enjoyed. So, um, yeah, it was all right. I like Benedict Cumberbatch and Elizabeth Olsen might be an Oscar for this, but that's it. Were you shocked? Were you shocked that they completely turned um, Wanda slash Scarlet Witch? They they really turned her into just a, a straight like villain in this movie. I know like 
I was surprised as, with as how most Marvel movies go. Like the villains usually have good intentions, but they really just made her like a straight a straight villain, uh, the 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 main antagonist. Yeah, I mean the line she says to uh, John Krasinski was like, "Good, they'll have somebody to to, to raise them." I was like, "God," and then, and then, and then just obliterates him. him. Yeah, and then like does holds was true to that promise. I wasn't surprised that they did it. Uh, that I, I I assumed she was going to be the villain in this. Like kind of a House of M, if you've ever read, if for people to read comics, the House of M storyline, I didn't think they would do it that fast. Like she's the villain the entire time, you know. I didn't, yeah, I didn't um, know that she was going to be the villain. I thought she was gonna, I thought she was gonna flip. Like, and and the family thing makes sense. I just thought she was gonna flip for another for maybe. And they always Marvel does this thing they they do it well, and it's not. I'm not saying this as a knock on it, but they always put that little like kind of out in there if they need it. For example, like. In this one, it was the Darkhold. Oh, she's being controlled by the Darkhold the entire time, you know. So that so, at some point, she's gonna need to face up for some of the stuff she's doing. But I mean, she's just murdering people. But uh, <laughs> you know, so how many, yeah, how many bodies does she leave behind in this movie? Like I mean, at, she, at least at least like forty or fifty, right? Uh, she obliterates. Uh, where'd they go? What's that called again? Come is not. Why do I want to say Comertage? Is that right? Yeah. The, yeah, she the, yeah their that. castle. Yeah, so she that's what I'm saying. She probably killed at least twenty or thirty people just there by itself. She kills all four members of the Illuminati quick. Which was that, and that's a I had a so I had a problem with the marketing of this movie because I knew three of uh uh Xavier was in the trailer, Captain Carter was briefly in the trailer, and Captain Marvel was in the trailer. So and I knew it wasn't Brie Larson, so I had to. I assumed it was Maria Rambeau. So I was like, you know, you're telling us all these now. The John Krasinski thing is Reed Richards was dope. That was a great reveal. I was very surprised by that because that's been so that's been so highly fan casted. It felt like it was impossible for them to actually do it, you know. So that was cool. Um, But then they just immediately killed him. But you know, I'm sure he'll be. I'm sure they'll keep it that way. But I mean, I'm sure he'll still be Reed Richards in whatever they do moving forward but um yeah it was i mean it was it was good it was enough there were some things i wish i didn't know going in like i said like like the charles stewart was in it uh or uh, professor xavier i just combined both i combined his name in the movie and his name in real life but um you know i like baron mordo i, I wish we get more of him because chiwa tol for i think i said that right is awesome he's an amazing actor and it feels like we're not getting enough and baron mordo is a really really cool villain and they keep kind of not nerfing him, but in the first movie he's good for ninety nine percent of it, and then this movie they don't really—I don't know if he's good or bad. It's weird. So I, I, I need more Baron Mordo, but yeah, I don't know. It's definitely Sam Raimi. That was definitely direct. You don't need to tell me who the director was. I probably could have guessed. <laughs> I didn't. Like Tarantino I movie. Had, I had very little information going in. That's good. You're I, lucky. I I, I, I didn't know that they were gonna flip. I did not know they were going to flip Wanda into the main antagonist. I had no idea. Um, maybe I'm ignorant. Maybe your like Twitter timeline is more curated to like show you more Marvel stuff than mine. Like I, I did not. I and I also I didn't watch. I have not watched the What If series. I've watched everything else. Did not watch the What If series. So like I did not know they were going to have um, all the variants of those characters as like you know the big four up there in that Illuminati. Um, so yeah. I knew very, I knew very little going into the movie about like the the meat and potatoes of it. So, um, 
I don't know, all that stuff that sounds like it might have been spoiled for you. It was not spoiled for me, luckily. Um, I really, I, I liked at the end. At first, I thought it was corny. And then as I did it, I was like, actually, this is kind of cool. Um, the whole possessing the dead body thing and the rules yeah, against that, that how, you had, like, how you had like the souls and like the demons attacking him. And I was like, oh, this is so corny. But then like the logic kind of connected in a weird movie way. And then he throws all these demons together and makes a cape out of them. And he, like the whole time he's talking also, he's got like this moldy decaying face where I just couldn't stop laughing. Like he was like, when he was talking to um, America Chavez and he's, his like face is like falling apart and like the skin flap is pulled up over his teeth and it looks like he's grinning the whole time. I just couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, okay, actually th- this is actually kind of cool. At first I was corny, actually kind of cool how this played out. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I did I did like that part, and especially I, I just like when they go against kind of rules because you know at some point that's going to come back to bite them. If it wasn't this movie, it's going to be something else. Like we'll see Strange a lot more in the future. I didn't like the actual end of it where she just like sees the kids and she's like, oh, that is pretty bad. Like you've now murdered like a hundred of people. You just this just clicked in your brain that your kids might be scared of you like she what? throws yeah like, she, like she you're not throws, their mom you're confusing she, them she throws real wanda up against the wall like she's a pillow and just yeah, tosses her. It beats the hell out of their actual mother and goes no i'm your mommy what other uh, every seven-year-old will be like what the what is going on you're <laughs> they're terrifying like, they're like, me. don't don't hurt me and she's like what do you mean don't hurt you why would i yeah. ever hurt you and they look at their you mother with like, a, <laughs> like a broken neck laying on the ground and you have like half your face is burnt off like it's it was it was like the screenwriters and i know the screenwriters michael waldron who I actually really like but it's like they got like 95 percent of the way through and like wait how do we end this movie <laughs> it's like all right cool I, and also i kind of was america chavez was introduced in like a tv show or something but just before this because like she was cool, she's a good actress. I just didn't care, you know. I just I, there was so yeah. much else going on. I just didn't really care about her. So I, I need to have a little more. And she's going to be in a lot of stuff. But again, it was just like, ah, eh. this is a tough movie to introduce. Like like No Way Home didn't really introduce anybody, and I think that was a very good that 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 played to the benefit of the movie because it could just get right to it and get rolling. I will say this: this movie wasted no time. I mean, it's definitely it's a tight two hours. They they are going from the jump. So that's cool, but like, I thought the Spider—I thought the Spider-Man joke at the beginning was hilarious. When they're like, "Yeah, there was an incident with Spider-Man." She's like, "Spider-Man, like, yeah, he's a spider. He's a man. He shoots web." She's like, "Out his butt," and they're like, "No, well, oh, I don't know." And then this movie because that that carries over from No Way Home. Like nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows, yeah, no, nobody cute, knows yeah. about Spider-Man. Spider-Man is is erased. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, that's clever. Well, they being Peter Parker, they obviously know Spider-Man because they're talking about him. But yeah, they don't know that like. The, they don't. The, I think the whole thing, at least in the comics, when that happens, is like they know who Spider-Man is, but all their interactions with him are gone. So that's why they're like, well, I don't know how he shoots webs. You know what I mean? Because they've yeah. never, they don't remember their interaction never. with him. So that's the, so that was a cool like. All right, here's the rules of this. At least, um, I do think that will probably get confusing later on too. But in the it, and when it happens in the comics, they just have a quick again. They're quick out of like when he sees people that he used to know, their memories flood back to him, you know, uh, that's very comic booky of just like, all right, let's ignore mm-hmm. that. Let's like, we got to get going. So let's ignore what we just did. And let's you'll who cares. We'll get going. So we'll see how that goes. But Hey, overall, like I'll, I'll watch it. I don't know if I'll go to the theaters again to see it. 
Um, I'm also, I'm not a scary movie fan. Now this isn't a scary movie, but like there are a couple jump scares where I'm like, ah, I don't know if I like that. So I, that's also, I've seen one scary movie in my life and I'll never see another. So, um, that was probably, that, that probably didn't help its benefit to me, but it's also interesting. And I was talking to this with a friend afterwards. They've done the multiverse now with basically three things in a row with Loki, then Spider-Man and now Dr. Strange. They're not going to touch it for a while because their next three movies are Thor, uh, Wakanda Forever. Neither of those will touch it. And then uh, the movie after that is uh, – well, now it's Ant-Man. So that's when they'll touch it again. But it was Captain Marvel, which probably wouldn't touch it. But now it's Ant-Man. So that will probably touch it again. Do they, do they push Captain Marvel back or do they stop it altogether? They switched. Captain Marvel was supposed to come out in February of next year and Ant-Man in May. And they just switched them. Okay. So Ant-Man's in February and Captain Marvel's in May. I don't know why. Probably it. They're they're running really thin on like people that can actually when they make these movies. They're so CGI heavy. There's only so many people in the industry that can actually do that. So they're like kind of running these people kind of rampant. So I think it was probably a CGI effect visual thing. But um, yeah, we'll see. You know, it's kind of interesting because, like I said, we've talked about the multiverse so much for the past eight months and now they're just going to stop. How do they, how do they transition and just abruptly stop mentioning it? Yes. You know, like, like Thor is not going to be about that at all. We know what that's about, uh, which I'm super excited to see Christian Bale as Gore, the God butcher, but that's, that's for another day. But, uh, and even the, the, even the shows coming out are Miss Marvel, which won't touch it. And she Hulk, which won't touch it. So man, we, yeah, we got like 15, 10, 15 minutes of that in there. Um, last thing, um, pretty much it. Shout outs. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a shout out to uh, Reed Detmers. Yes, thirteenth, thirteenth career start last night. Which I guess when this comes out two nights ago, um, no hitter, only two strikeouts, which is crazy. Two strikeouts in a no hitter, so twenty five outs in contact. But uh, I think he did it in just over a hundred pitches in his thirteenth career start. No hitter, Reed Detmers. Um, super, super, super cool to watch. I think that combined no hitters are super lame. And so to me, this is the first no hitter of the year, which is pretty sick. Yes, I agree. I was going to shout out the angels just because I want to see more of who I believe is the best player to ever play the game in the playoffs and Mike Trout. Uh, but I'm actually going to shout out something different because I'm on Twitter right now. And I just saw Benedict Cumberbatch, since we're talking about Marvel, Benedict Cumberbatch passed on Thor 2's villain role of Malekith. I guess he got like, he got that role and he passed because he was holding out for something a bit more juicy and he got strange. So believe in yourself, kids, you might get it. You might think you're Malekith, but you could be a doctor strange. So believe in yourself. That will do it for us today. If you're finding us on the website, uh, make sure to also subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music and podcasts. Uh, we are under the Land Grant Holy Land feed. And if you want to catch us on Twitter, we are at Bucketheads LGHL. Uh, we were at 200 followers, but then someone followed us. So now we're at 199. Uh, so if we could get one more follower, that'd be great. And uh, the main account is Land Grant 33. That's where you'll catch every. Obviously, with football season coming up, you know, we do some great stuff with Buck Off podcast and I hang out in the Holy Land and obviously all the articles you write. So make sure you're checking out everything Land Grant has to offer. 
I'm Justin underscore Golba on Twitter. Connor, where are you? Uh, you can follow me at Lamans underscore Connor on Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, thank you for bearing with us with the movie stuff. If, if you don't like Marvel movies, that's uh, that's too damn bad. It's our podcast, and we make the rules. Have a great weekend, everybody. Go Bucks. <laughs>